Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that begins a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is the priest, St. Jerome, one of the four great Western Fathers of the Church. He was born into an economically comfortable family around the year 345 in Striden, near the city of Emona, present-day Lobiana, the capital of Slovenia. Around the year 360, Jerome went to Rome and honed his study of Latin. During his studies, he befriended Rufinus, an important figure in early Christian writings, and amassed an impressive library of Latin classics, which he pored over with intense study. While studying in Rome, he enjoyed a very worldly life, yet was intrigued by Christian texts and practices. In his commentary on the book of the prophet Ezekiel, Jerome writes, quote, While I lived in Rome as a youngster and was being trained in the liberal arts, together with others of my age and who shared a common purpose, I used to visit the tombs of the apostles and martyrs on Sundays and to enter the crypts frequently, where on either side of the visitors, bodies were buried in the walls, dug deep into the earth. Unquote. Jerome was baptized in Rome in 366, but does not give us details of his conversion. Shortly after his baptism, he went to the city of Trier and there became acquainted with the ideals of Eastern monasticism. We know that in the year 374, he was living in Aquila in northeastern Italy with a small group of like-minded friends until disagreements drove them apart, with Jerome heading to the desert of Calacus, south of the city of Aleppo in Syria. It was here that Jerome became more proficient in Greek and Hebrew while living a very austere and ascetic life. In 382, Jerome was back in Rome and became secretary to Pope Damasus, who strongly encouraged and supported his efforts to provide a new Latin translation of the sacred scriptures, which eventually became known as the Vulgate. 
When Pope Damasus died, Jerome traveled to the Holy Land and eventually settled in Bethlehem, where he lived until his death around the year 419. While in Bethlehem, he penned massive works on sacred scripture, as well as refuting many strains of the Arian heresy. The Church fondly recalls the memory of St. Jerome each September 30th, noting his living and tender love for sacred scripture. For the saintly translator and commentator on scripture, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. This Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, wherein he ponders the parable uh, proclaimed at Mass this Sunday. As usual, a link to this Sunday's blog article appears in the podcast description, which examines once again the role of the vineyard in the Gospels and in the ancient Near Eastern world. And now, St. Jerome on the Gospel according to St. Matthew. The prophet sings a sorrowful song to the people of Israel, which that one composed of whom it is written in the Gospels, but when he saw it, doubtless referring to Jerusalem, he wept over it and said, If only you knew what things are for your peace, for they will come upon you, and your enemies will put fortifications around you, and will heap up an embankment upon you, and they will level you and your sons. And again, how often have I desired to gather your sons like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house will be left deserted. This is similar to what is now being said in the song, I will leave my vineyard. But the heading of the 44th Psalm teaches us that Christ may be called beloved and most dear, which Aquila translated Patra Defon, father's brother or cousin. A song for the beloved. Moreover, there is the voice of God the Father in the gospel. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We also read in the 67th Psalm, The Lord will give the word to those who preach the good news with great virtue. The King of the virtues of the beloved. This beloved, therefore, made a mournful song for his vineyard, one that I will sing to my beloved and to my miserable people. Or possibly, it should be understood as follows. I will sing to Almighty God the Father a song of Christ, who is my cousin, that is, 
begotten with me from the same race. But that the people of Israel is called the vineyard of God, we read even at the end of this song, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the man of Judah his pleasant sprout. And in the 79th Psalm, You have transferred a vineyard from Egypt. You have expelled nations and planted it. In the Gospel too, the Lord devises a parable in nearly the same words which the prophet is now speaking. There was a certain householder who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to farmers, and so on. And in Jeremiah we read, I planted you as a fruitful vineyard. Completely true. How did you turn to bitterness, a foreign vineyard? And so, Jerusalem mourns, as we have said, and her collapse is being sung by the words of the prophet. On the other hand, for the church and for the former people of the nations, another song has been published, of which we read in the Psalms, Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Declare his salvation day by day. Announce his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all peoples. And again, sing to the Lord a new song, because he has done marvelous works. The Lord has shown his salvation. In the sight of the nations, he has revealed his justice. My beloved had a vineyard on a horn by a son of oil. Theodotion and Aquila translated it this way in accordance with the Hebrew. Symmachus rendered it more clearly, however, as is his custom. My beloved had a vineyard on a horn in the midst of olive trees. Moreover, the Septuagint translated the sense rather than the word. My beloved had a vineyard on a horn in a fertile or abundant place. And indeed, there is nothing more fertile than the promised land. If you consider not each individual mountain and desert, but its entire breadth, from the stream of Egypt to the great river Euphrates towards the east, and to the northern region up to the Taurus Mountains and the area west of Chichilia, which overlooks the sea. Now we read that the horn often signifies kingdom and power, as for example the following passage in the Gospels. He has raised up a horn of our salvation in the house of David his son, and in you we will agitate our enemies with a horn. And in Zechariah, four horns point to four very powerful kingdoms. The Hebrews explained the passage in the following way. The Messiah's vineyard is planted on a horn, that is, 
in a strong and lofty location, which is called Son of Oil, either because he needs God's mercy and is sustained by his aid, or because he will offer the clear light of the knowledge of God to all the nations. As we have said previously, he is describing the Jewish people using the metaphor of a vineyard, whom he fenced in with the help of angels. And he picked the stones out of them, either idols or anything that could have hindered the worship of God. And he planted this vineyard of Sorek, which Symmachus alone translated chosen, expressing it not word for word, as it seems to me, but the meaning that is contained in the word. For the Hebrews say that Sorak is a kind of excellent vine, which produces an abundant and perpetual harvest. After all, Sorak is translated by some Kali Karpos, which we can render into, quote, the most lovely harvest, unquote. He also built a tower in its midst, namely the temple in the middle of the city. And he constructed a wine press in it, which some think signifies the altar. For just as all grapes are carried to a wine press and crushed, so that the wine may be pressed out of them, so the altar receives the harvest of all the people and consumes the sacrifices that are offered. It is in accordance with the fact that we read about Benjamin, in whose tribe the temple and altar were located. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. He will devour in the morning and will give food toward the evening. Everything that is said of the vineyard can be applied to the condition of the human soul, which, though planted by God in the good, has not brought forth grapes, but wild grapes. And afterward, it is handed over the beasts to be trampled. It did not receive the divine reign of doctrines, because it despised the gifts that it silently neglected. St. Jerome of Bethlehem, pray for us. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who in the abundance of your kindness surpass the merits and desires of those who entreat you, pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. The Lord be with you. 
May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord.